All right, welcome back. Come on in and take your seat. As you're uh, coming in, turn in your Bible this morning to Acts chapter 28. Crazy to think we're uh, at the end of this book after all these months, but it's good. We started it uh, right after the new year, and so it's good to be finishing a book. There's always a sense of accomplishment, a sense of, you know, what the Lord has been doing, and, you know, next week we're going to come back and sort of do a summary of this book, you know, since it was 28 chapters, and just kind of look at where we've been and some of the key things that the Lord has spoken uh, to his church as a universal message and then to us as a, a particular church. So we are going to uh, read down uh, to verse 016 this morning. We'll have that up on the screen for you. Now, if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you, of course, to turn there and read from that. So Acts chapter 28. Did I load that? Okay, I couldn't remember if I loaded it in there. All right. Now, when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome, because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. He shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and they said that he was a god. Now in that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened <coughs> that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery, And Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came, and they were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we parted, excuse me, when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing in Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled around and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the Forum and three inns. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Lord, please add 
your understanding and your blessing to the reading of your word as we consider all that you have for us today, as we think about these things, as we are encouraged by them, and as we are instructed. And Lord, as we come to the end of this incredible book that we've been studying together, we trust that you will just minister and pour out your spirit and bring things together in our hearts and minds as we we come to the end of this study. Thank you for your goodness, for your revelation, for your instruction, for your desire to get to us the word that we might know who you are, that we might understand how you relate and how you love and how you want people to see who you are and to come to know you. And you've done that so amazingly through the Apostle Paul in this last half of this book. How we can, we've seen, Lord, just so, so loud and clear how one person can make a difference. And would you continue to teach us those things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. As we came to the end of last week, remember in chapter 27, Paul and uh, all the people with him, the 276 people who were on that ship, they were making their way, so they thought, to Rome. And as they were traveling, they went through this uh, Eurocline, this nor'easter, this hurricane, this typhoon. And for 14 days, they were driven in the sea in, in the worst of conditions, and People weren't able to eat. The, 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 the boat was tossed about so violently. You know, when we go through things like that in our own lives, whether it's a literal uh, storm or, or something else, you know, after a few hours, we're done with it, right? But this went on for 14 days, for two weeks. And as we studied last week, we know that the Lord met them in that storm. The Lord used the Apostle Paul to minister to them. When they started out on that journey, the captain and uh, the guards, the the Romans who were in charge, they they thought they were in charge. They plotted a course and they they set out and they said, we're going to go from here to there and it should take so many days and we should be there by this date and if we don't make it, we'll have to winter somewhere. But they had a plan. None of that plan worked out according to the way that they had hoped But everything went according to the way that God had wanted, the way that God had envisioned. And as they were being driven uh, toward the shore last week, as we closed out the chapter, the the ship was breaking up. Uh, People were jumping ship. They were getting to shore however they could, many of them just clinging to driftwood or to pieces of the ship and getting to the island, getting up on the beach. And that's sort of where we left them last week. They were just in, they were in, they were in a shambles. They were soaked to the bone. They had no dry clothes. All of their possessions were gone. All their food was gone. They had nothing. So they washed up on this beach. So on verse, chapter 28, verse 1, as we continue that, that segment, right, of what happened to them. Now, when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta. If you look in the back of your Bible, you have a, usually some maps, and you can see uh, that either it may list it as uh, Paul's fourth journey, or they may have listed it as Paul's shipwreck or something like that, but you'll see on the map the little island of Malta. And as you follow that, that path there, um, Jer, can you bring up that slide again that's in there that shows the journey? 
we, we noticed last week, uh, or we noted, that they really had been taken off course probably a good four or 500 miles from where they had intended. You can see Malta all, over there all the way on the left. Uh, that was not the intended path. It was to go more up and hug the shore and head up toward um, Regium, up that way. But they didn't go that way. The storm drove them more westward. And so you can see there that if you can read that, this says ship lost in the storm. <clears throat> so that they were not planning to do that at all. And so the Lord, of course, drove them in that direction. And one of the things that we have seen <clears throat> over and over and over in the book of Acts is how God has a plan. <clears throat> and when he has a plan and when he sees a need, he will meet that need. Think, think back to chapter 8. Remember Philip the evangelist who was one of the original seven chosen all the way back in chapter six as a deacon. <clears throat> he was ministering in the name of the Lord and the Lord spoke to him one day and said, hey, head down to the road in Gaza and directed his path all the way down there out in the middle of nowhere to meet that one soul, <clears throat> that uh, Ethiopian eunuch who was riding in a chariot by himself and just completely by chance happened to be reading a scroll of Isaiah. And as he jogged up beside him, right at that right moment, <clears throat> he heard him reading and he said, <clears throat> excuse me, do you understand what you're reading? And of course he said, how can I <clears throat> understand unless somebody tells me, <clears throat> excuse me for just a moment, sorry, got all choked up. <clears throat> so it's interesting how God, <clears throat> when he wants to reach someone, he will make it happen. And so that, <clears throat> that Ethiopian eunuch was important to the Lord. And so he sent Philip all the way down there to find that man to minister to him. <clears throat> and of course, we know in the story, excuse me, <clears throat> we know in the story that that man, after he had believed and they had stopped and they had baptized him, <clears throat> I have no idea what's happening right now, that the Spirit swept him away and took him to another place. They sent him on another assignment. <clears throat> and so here we find the Lord driving this ship uh, off course, way off course, to this little island called Malta. And so <clears throat> as they got out onto this island, they found out that it was inhabited, <clears throat> excuse me, by a Roman um, cohort that was there. Uh, you know, it was a territory, it was an island, so they were making sure that there was peace. This little island, <clears throat> I beg your pardon, was 17 miles by nine miles, so not a very big island, but it had a settlement there. And as the Lord had driven this ship to this place, no doubt he had an appointment. He had a, a, a destiny for these 276 people. But as I read it, and as I think about it, it surely seems that the Lord wanted to take his man, Paul, this one man, to this island so that he could minister in the name of the Lord so that he could preach the gospel. And no doubt the Lord had put Paul on that ship with those 276 people so that Paul could minister to those 276 people. And now as they have <clears throat> lost the ship and they've been shipwrecked on this little island, the Lord begins to move and he begins to, 
to do things that only the Lord can do. There's an interesting um, parallel in a psalm in Psalm 107. It says this, you might want to turn there, Psalm 107, verse 23. It says, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths, their soul melts because of trouble. And they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. And they are at their wits end. It almost seems like, um, thank you. It almost seems like this psalm is describing that storm. They reel to and fro, they stagger like a drunken man and they are at their wits end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Listen to this. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Psalm 107, that almost seems to me is written to describe this situation in Acts 27 and Acts 28. So they get to this island. Verse two, and the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. So as they get to this island and this, you know, ship crashes and the people are all gathered on the shore, uh, the natives, the people of the island, notice what it says there, <clears throat> they showed us unusual kindness. Now these are unbelieving people. They don't know the Lord. They've probably mostly been raised on this little island. All of their life has been spent in this 17 mile by nine mile piece of rock out in the Mediterranean. And yet as these ships would come and go, certainly Malta was a seaport. <clears throat> in fact, the side of the island that they crashed on was not the seaport. Around the other side of the island was the seaport where ships would come to winter. But they showed unusual kindness. They went out in the storm. They met these people. They ministered to their needs. And these are people, as I mentioned, who do not know Christ. So it's interesting how God uses people. He'll use, you know, as Jesus said when he was riding in the, on the day of the triumphal entry, when the scribes and the Pharisees were telling Jesus, make them be quiet, make them stop, because they, they looked at it as a blasphemous thing that the people were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, to the name of the Lord. And Jesus answered them in response and said, if I tell them to be quiet, even the very rocks will cry out. So even creation, God will, will call out and use creation for his glory. And here he's using these, these natives who don't, didn't know the Lord to show them unusual kindness. And this is going to be emphasized a little bit later when they get to Rome, but I wanna point out something for us that's important for us to know. And I've said it before, but the church should be the friendliest place on earth. 
And it doesn't matter who walks through those doors. It doesn't matter a political affiliation or an ethnicity or, you know, if they're LGBTQ or whatever it might be, that none of that matters. What matters is that they come in and they experience the love of God. And they, they hear the gospel and they receive love. And these people showed unusual kindness. It says they kindled a fire. Notice that kindness and love takes on a practical action. They did something for them. They didn't, they didn't do what we so often do. Hey man, if you need anything, let me know, right? Give me a call. We'll be there for you. These people jumped right to work. They said, how can we help them? You're cold, you're wet. They built a fire. And it said, and they made us all welcome. How would you do that? Think about how you would do that. You've, you've come upon this terrible tragedy and there's all these people there. They're displaced and they're homeless. How do you show them unusual kindness? How do you make them feel welcome? How do you minister to their needs? Because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. So they're, they're out there in the rain and the cold with these people trying to find a way to minister to them, to help them. Notice in verse three, but when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Notice Paul wasn't sitting over on the side going, you know, I'm cold and all of that and I, I need somebody to minister to me and, you know, woe is me. Paul jumped right in, didn't he? And I think Paul was the kind of person who could never sit still. <clears throat> if there was something to be done, if there was a way to minister, if there was a need to be met, Paul was involved. And so while uh, the natives are welcoming them and helping them, Paul jumped right in and said, I'm gonna be a part of this. So he was out gathering sticks for the fire. And it says, as he laid them on the fire, a viper, a snake, came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So no doubt that snake, you know, which is cold-blooded, gets it near the fire, it kind of gets woken up and gets startled. And it jumps out and it bites Paul on the hand. And so in verse four, so when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. So they knew this, this creature, this snake, they knew that it was incredibly poisonous and venomous. And they had expected that within just a few moments, he was gonna start to, to convulse and foam at the mouth and fall on the ground and writhe in pain and die. They expected literally within a few minutes, this man would be laying there dead before them because of this snake. But notice they also had this superstition and today, if we were putting it in our context, people might say it you know, like this. They might call it karma. They might say, well, obviously this bad thing happened to this man because he had done something bad. And this is just justice. This is sort of karma having its way. And you, know, you can't escape that. You know, you're going to, to be judged for your sin, so to speak. And so when they saw this, they said he's no doubt a murderer. They, they assumed the worst because of this bad thing that happened. This snake bit him. Whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice is not allowed to live. That word justice is actually a reference to a Roman God whom they thought 
brought justice. This is the way justice was brought through the gods, little g, was uh, through this sort of karma-like act. But it's interesting, of course, that none of this was true. This was all superstition. This was just what they thought. This is what they believed on their little island in their little corner of the world. And it says in verse five, but Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Maybe you remember in the book of Matthew where Jesus had sent out the 70. And as he sent them out, he said to them, no harm will come to you. Not even snakes, if they bite you, will harm you. You will be protected. God will will deliver you. And so here's Paul, he shakes off the creature into the fire and he suffered no harm. Now remember, Paul had been through so many things in his life. On his very first journey, when he got to Lystra and Derbe, remember he was stoned, they persecuted him. They drug him out of the city and left him for dead. So Paul had seen the worst, he had been through the worst. He had, in his mind, probably died before. And I'm sure that Paul, no doubt, as this snake bit him, he probably looked at it and said, well, if this is the end. But it wasn't. Remember, the Lord had stood by him. He had sent an angel to encourage him. He says, you're going to get to Rome. I'm going to deliver you to Rome. You must stand before Caesar. So I think Paul knew those things. And I don't think he looked at this snake biting him as you know, well, this is the end of the road. I think he knew that God was going to keep his word. And you know, if God has a plan for our lives, like he did for Paul, like for so many, then these kinds of things, these snake bites, these shipwrecks, these bumps in the road, are not gonna take us down. They're not gonna take us out. Because you see, our time is not up until the Lord says our time is up. And so here he is. He he had this sense, you know, God's not done with me yet. I've got to at least get to Rome. That's the next chapter for me. And Paul could have easily been tempted to quit, but remember how the Lord kept speaking to him and encouraging him. Paul could have looked at the situation so many times and evaluated his resources and he said, I'm in prison, I'm I'm in captivity, I have no money, I have no freedom, what am I supposed to do? I can't minister the way I've been accustomed to ministering these last 20 or 25 years and what am I going to do? And he's already, of course, completed two-year sentence there in Caesarea. Now he's... On this journey, it's not going so well. It's certainly been, in many ways, the worst kind of journey. And yet here he is on this island, and God is using him as an example. And here's something we have to be aware of. Sometimes God allows us to go through things because he wants to use us as an example. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, Lord, can you just use somebody else? I don't want to be an example. He's like, I could, but I'm choosing to use you. And so here's Paul shaking off this snake into the fire. He suffered no harm. 
And so at verse 6, of course, they were expecting he would swell up, suddenly fall down, die. But after they had looked for a long time, they're sitting there looking intently. They're just, it's like watching a TV program, waiting for the climax, waiting for the end of the show. And it doesn't happen. And it says, they saw no harm come to him. And now they changed their minds and said that he was a God. So a few minutes ago, they thought a God was judging him and that karma was coming upon him and somehow judging, judging him because he was a murderer or something. Now they're like, no, this guy's a God. Obviously, he survived it. And that just shows you in part the fickle nature of people. You know, one minute they can be your friend, the next minute they can be your enemy and vice versa. And so because this happened, look at what happens in verse seven. So between six and seven, something happens. Verse seven, in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius. So this is the Roman curator of that island who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. So eventually this man took him over to you know, his house and his you know, dwelling. I'm sure he had sort of a palace kind of a situation. And so he took them all in. And it happened, isn't, I love that, verse 8, and it happened, happenstance, just a coincidence, that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery, and Paul went into him. So they get invited there for this man, the ruler Publius, to take care of their needs, get them out of the rain, you know, get them dry. And as Paul gets there, because he's attuned, right, to people. Paul's looking at people. What's the situation here? What's going on? What's God doing? God, what do you have for me? You see, this is the way Paul is thinking. He's not going, great, we can get some rest. I'm going to go over here in the corner, curl up with a blanket and sleep for a couple of days. He's looking around with his eyes and with his spiritual senses saying, is there an opportunity to minister? And he sees that Publius's uh, father was sick really sick, sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him. And he didn't go in and say, oh, is it, you know, I don't want to offend you, but is it okay if I pray for you? He just went in. Look, Paul went into him and prayed. And he laid his hands on him and healed him. So Paul was sort of given this leading of the Spirit to go in and to minister to this man. So think about everything they've been through for the last two weeks, all of the, the shipwreck and the loss and the fear and they all thought they were going to die and it was just a terrible situation for the last two weeks and now all of a sudden Paul's standing there and he has this opportunity and he walks into this guy who's sick and he prays for him he lays his hands on him and he healed him and you know Paul Paul had to say to him in the name of Jesus of Nazareth I heal you stand up and walk and I'm sure it was dramatic And so when this was done in verse 9, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and they were healed. Now all of a sudden, because God used Paul to minister to and to heal this man who was a notable man, the father of Publius, the ruler, now all of a sudden, uh, the rest of the island, uh, those who had diseases, they came and they were healed. All of a sudden, man, God's moving. And all these people are coming and being healed. And this is just another scene out of the Gospels, just like what happened with Jesus. Jesus would start to heal people. They're coming out of the woodwork. Coming to get healed, they're like, oh man, can I be healed too? 
And in verse 10, they also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. And it's, it's amazing to me here, just that these few verses, what God has done, and all because Paul was available, God put Paul where he wanted Paul to be. Was Paul going to Rome? Absolutely. But on the way to Rome, the process, the journey, God had other things for Paul to do. And you say, Lord, that's pretty extreme, though, the way you did it, the shipwreck, the journey. I mean, that, couldn't you just have gotten him there a different way without all the violence and the struggle? And of course he could. But, you know, I found this in my life, and probably you found it in your life as well, that when everything's just cool and smooth and cruising along, and it's just great, I'm not seeking the Lord as much. My mind and my heart are not, I mean, it's just me, it's just human nature, I suppose, but when things are going smooth, we're like, man, it's great, it's cool, it's a quiet time, everything's going good. But then when all hell begins to break loose, and things begin to happen, and you get a call from the doctor, and this test didn't look so good, or you get a call from a friend, you know, Ken and Cheryl going through this with their, their family member, you know, just... And he was telling me before service, he got this call, and all of a sudden, boom, she's in hospice. What, what happens when these things happen? We are driven where? We're driven to the Lord. We're driven to the throne of grace. And that's why God allows storms. That's why it's good when things are not good. That's why it's good when things are not going smoothly. You know, and this happens to all of us. I was talking to someone the other day, and we were chatting, and a good friend of mine, a uh, believer, and he was just telling me about all these things, and he's like, you know, I just, I keep, I keep getting to learn this same lesson over and over and over, because then when these things happen, he says, what do I do? He says, I start complaining. I complain so bitterly to the Lord about these things going on in my life, and and then he says, you know, the next day or whatever, I'll be sitting down on my devotions reading and all of a sudden the Lord gets my attention and he's like, when are you going to learn? I have a plan. Stop complaining against my plan. You may not like the way it's going, but it's my plan. And I have a purpose. And I have things I'm going to accomplish in your life and through your life. And you just need to submit to it and allow it to happen. And so no doubt Paul here, he's learned this, right, after all these years. And so he's just, he's there, okay, Lord, we're shipwrecked on this island, what's next? Lord, I'm, I'm on this ship. I don't know if we're going to make it. I hope we're going to make it. You said you were going to get me to Rome. What should I do? Okay, we'll have a communion service. We'll pray and minister to the people and strengthen them. Out in the middle of a storm with just a few pieces of bread, God uses Paul to encourage 276 people. They get on the shore. God allows a snake to bite Paul. What happens? He uses that event to cause those people to take note that God is doing something. They get into Publius's house. He sees the man or hears about him sick. Publius's father goes in and prays, ministers to him. God uses that. Now all, the, all these people come. Now there's a healing service going on. God's this Pentecostal healing service going on on the island of Malta. Why? 
Because God has a purpose and a plan for Paul's life. Don't read this in a standoff manner and go, that's a cool story. You see, it could be you, it could be me in that story. And God wants to use you. He wants to use me. I was talking to J.R. and I had lunch yesterday and we were chatting and we were talking about family and kids and, you know, all of that. And I was telling him about my years of rebellion and I was, so I was probably 16, 17. I'm, I'm in school, high school, but I don't really care about it. And uh, all I care about is, you know, partying, smoking pot and all of that. And that's what I did for two or three years. That's all I did. I don't even know how I graduated from, from high school. I have no idea. I don't even know what my grade, I, don't even, I got into college. How did that happen? I don't even know. But here's what happened. When I was 10, I came to the Lord. I was never discipled, but I know that the Holy Spirit had come into my life. But I had just never learned the ways of the Lord. Nobody taught me. And so here I am walking in the way of the world, doing all this stuff. And here's what I told him just to encourage him. I remember, and I can remember this clearly. My friend Kim, I'm at her house. Uh, Her parents are out of town. And of course, when parents go out of town, what happens? There's a party at your house. So I'm at this party. We're smoking dope and we're drinking and doing all this stuff. And I'm out on the front lawn puking my guts out. Just being honest with you is what happened. And I remember this. I'm on my knees in her front lawn by this pine tree, just, you know, having it out. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me clear as day. And he's like, is this really what you want to be doing? And all through those years, that's just one incident. But all through those years, as I was doing things I shouldn't have done, and I was in places I shouldn't have been, Okay, so get this. I've probably said this before. I had this friend. His name was Gary. His mom was a believer. And I, and I loved hanging out with him. He was a fun guy. But I hated going to his house because his mom knew the Lord. And she was this reminder. She was this goad that God was using in my life. And she had this sign. Every time I used their bathroom, you know, not like today where you have you know, six bathrooms in your house. There was one bathroom. You go in and use the bathroom, and she had this plaque strategically placed right above the toilet paper. And it said something like, and I still remember it, you shouldn't be a place that God doesn't want you to be doing things that God doesn't want you to do. And it's just this like little poem, right? But it was this, this poem about, you know, following God. And it was like, what do you do when you're sitting there? You're reading whatever's there, and there's what I'm reading. Every, and every time I'm there, I'm like, man... I'm going to take that thing down. I'm going to hang something over it. I'm going to take a Sharpie with me and black it out, you know. Just, but, but God kept using those things to minister to me until the day I finally, you know, returned. And so God will use us. And he'll use whatever means necessary to get through to you and to get through to me. You know, how many times do you have to see it? How many times do you have to hear it? You remember, we're going, to get, we're going to get to Daniel, but you remember when um, King Nebuchadnezzar, or was it his son, I get those two mixed up. Remember the handwriting on the wall, many, many, tekel you forsen. And, and it, you know, we often, we've taken that today, we've made it kind of colloquialized, and we say, oh, well, you know, the handwriting on the wall. But is that, that happens, right? God does that. He did it not only there, but he does it for us. 
Have you ever been driving down the road and seen a bumper sticker? Like a Bible verse on it or something? And you're like, huh, I needed to hear that. I mean, God does this thing, these things, you know, maybe it's not many, many tackle you farsen where you see a hand, you know, writing on the wall. But God speaks. And so here, here God is using Paul, taking Paul five, six hundred miles off course to this little island. Why? Because there was a divine appointment there that God didn't want Paul to miss. And he took him there. And it says they honored him, verse 10, in many ways. And when we departed, they provided God used this little native island to provide everything they needed. They had nothing. They didn't know where they were going to get the things they needed. They were broke. They were homeless. They were, you know, adrift. And God just blessed them and gave them everything they needed. And after three months, verse 11, we sailed in the Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which, we had, which had wintered at the island. So God provided another ship, an Alexandrian ship going from Alexandria, Egypt, where? All the way to Rome. Provided them a direct taxi service from the little tiny offbeat path of Malta to where he wanted them to be. Uh, verse 12, and landing at Syracuse, we stayed for three days. You can see it there as they come up the, the lower end of Sicily. And from there, we circled around and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day, we came to Puteoli. And all of a sudden, boom, their journey is just flying right along, isn't it? Because you see, in the beginning of that journey, man had a plan. And man tried to fight against God. And God had to, through the storm, direct them to the place he wanted them to be. But now that God's in charge and they're listening to him, all of a sudden, boom, the journey's moving right along. And God's delivering Paul right up to Rome. And, we're, and uh, we came to Puteoli and where we found brethren, verse 14, and were invited to stay with them seven days and so we went toward Rome. And God has been doing this all along Paul's journey, hasn't he? Paul's moving along, he gets somewhere, he, all of a sudden God brings this, this church, these believers out, and they, they meet Paul and like, man, so good to meet you, welcome brother, and they take care of him and they feed him and they, they give him food and they give him money and they give him supplies, and God just provides. And I think as we look at the way God has provided for Paul on all of his journeys, you know, many years ago, someone coined the phrase, where God guides, God provides. And we've seen that so clearly. We're seeing it here as we come to the end of this story in the book of Acts. And so they went toward Rome, verse 15, and from there when the brethren heard about us. Now remember, Paul had written to Rome uh, much, much earlier uh, on his third journey. And so they had already been, you know, anxious to meet Paul. Maybe they they heard, it seems they heard that he was coming. Um, and when the brethren heard about us, verse 15, they came to meet us as far as the Epiphorum and three ends. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Why? Because in that moment, these believers that Paul had written the letter to the church at Rome, and if you've ever read the, the letter to the Romans, man, what an amazing letter. And so they're coming to Paul now. They're traveling 20, 30 miles down to meet him and to welcome him, sort of a welcoming, welcoming committee. And uh, they just hug Paul and they're so grateful that he comes. And Paul, it says here, he thanked God and he took courage. In that moment, Paul realized God's delivering me. It's, it's happening. 
Because God keeps his promises. God always delivers. God always does what he says he's going to do. He's not like us who breaks promises or forgets. God always delivers. And so here, Paul's taking courage. Man, God, you're doing it. It's amazing. Thank you. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Look at the favor God is giving to Paul. He should have been in prison, in Caesar's prison. Instead, probably because, remember, at the beginning of the journey, this man Julius, who had great favor toward Paul, he's probably, as he's handing his prisoner over, he's going, man, this guy is a good guy. He's, he's, not, he's not guilty. This man loves God. You should see. And he probably told him all the stuff that happened. He's like, you, know, you don't have to worry about this guy. So Paul's permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Still had to have the guard chained to him three times a day. The guard changed. Paul, no doubt, took great opportunity to minister to those guards as they were chained to him. Verse 17, and it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Now, Paul is assuming here as he's called them together that they've heard about him. Remember how angry the Jews were over Paul coming into Jerusalem and how he had tried to minister. And he, of course, once he said, you know, God had taken the, the gospel to the Gentiles, they became violently angry. And that's sort of what started this whole thing for Paul. So he's assuming that the church in Jerusalem, excuse me, the synagogues in Jerusalem knew about him, that they had probably sent letters or sent messengers. So I think he's trying to get ahead of this. And so he's calling them to meet with them. And as he's meeting with them, he's, he's trying to just say, look, you know, I'm here. I'm doing the right thing. I'm coming to you first. I'm seeking you out. I want to put this thing on the table and let's begin to deal with it. So he's sharing with them what happened to him. So in verse 18, who, when they had examined me, they wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. Uh, but of course, the Jews wanted to put him to death. That's why he was in Roman custody. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. And for this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and to speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. If you go back and highlight and look through these last two or three chapters, Paul said that so many times, that very phrase, for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. And remember, we talked about it. What is the hope of Israel? Well, they believed in the resurrection. They believed that God, when he sent his Messiah, would make it very clear to them that he sent his Messiah. Paul is saying to them, the Messiah himself validated the hope of Israel, which is the resurrection from the dead. And we looked at Daniel chapter 12, I think it was, where, we, where they got that from. Whereas Daniel says, you know, I'm going to see after death, I'm going to see the presence of God. And we looked at the book of Job, a couple of verses where Job talked about that, that after death, I will be in the presence of God. And so they understood when he says, you know, I'm here because of, you know, the hope of Israel, because of what God uh, had done. 
Verse 21, they said to him, we neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect, remember they called it the way, um, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So even the synagogue there in Rome had heard about the way, meaning the followers of Jesus. And they, all they knew was that this group of people who were saying that Jesus was the Messiah uh, is spoken against because, of course, they rejected that Jesus was the Messiah. So when they had appointed him a day, verse 23, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Now, again, here's Paul. You know, why am I here? Why am I in captivity? So he's saying, I can't go to them. And he calls for them. He says, would you guys come to my house and meet with me? And they come, they all come. This is the work of the Lord. God is drawing these people together, these, these Jewish uh, leaders of the city of Rome. And so he does what he's always done. He just opens the word and he just explains to them. He solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. This is another one of those Bible studies. Wouldn't you love to sit and listen to that Bible study? Remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and it says beginning with the, uh, you know, all the way to the beginning and the law and the prophets, he expounded the scriptures to them. And, and when they got to Emmaus and they sat down and they begged him to stay with him and he broke bread with them and they realized who he was and then he disappeared. They said, didn't our hearts burn within us as Jesus explained these things? And I imagine the Bible study Paul gave here was very similar to, if probably not almost the exact same thing that Jesus said to those disciples on the road to Emmaus. So here, Paul is giving them probably the best Bible study they've ever had in their life. And it's going all day from morning till evening. And here we come to verse 24. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. Now, maybe you want to underline verse 24, and here's why. This is the way it always is. Some believe, some don't believe. And it's the some don't believe part that breaks our heart, that makes us sad. But notice, even with probably the best Bible teacher next to Jesus, they're still not persuaded. And so I, I learned from this, I gleaned from this, just what Paul did in verse 23 when I'm ministering to people, when I have an opportunity, when a door is open. Just be a, be a witness. Share the Bible, share the scriptures. Tell them God loves them. Tell them he sent his only begotten son to die for them, to redeem them. Just tell them the truth. Because the Holy Spirit is going to take those words, the word of God, which again, going back to Matthew 13, the parable of the sower and the seed. The sower is the person sowing the word. The seed is the word. And we can do no better than Paul and Jesus, which is to share the word of God with people. And they were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. So verse 25, when they did not agree among themselves, no surprise there, 
they departed after Paul had said one word, the Holy Spirit rightly through Isaiah the prophet, excuse me, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers. Verse 26, saying, go to this people and say, seeing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will believe and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. This scripture, when shared with these Jewish people was a dagger in their hearts because they knew that this scripture was speaking against them. And this is, you know, it's interesting to go look. Uh, I didn't write down all the places, but this particular passage is quoted so many times in the New Testament. And it, it communicates the reality that while we may be faithful, faithful to preach God's word to give it to people, that there are people, just like what it's saying here, there are people who they will hear the words, but they don't really hear the words. What does that mean? It means the words don't penetrate into their hearts. And they will see, they will see the gospel, they'll see the words on their screen, on the screen, they'll see the words on the pages, and they will even understand them and probably being able to you know, recount them, to repeat, repeat them back. But they don't know what they mean. And it says they're hard of hearing, their eyes have become closed, they've become dull. It's kind of like people, you know, you're studying for a test and you learn the material well enough to pass the test, but as soon as you pass the test and you've regurgitated the information, you, you've put it away, you don't even think about it anymore. It means nothing to you. All you did was pass a test, but it meant nothing to your life. And so this is what Paul is saying to them. I've just explained to you from the law from Moses and all throughout the prophets. And I've shown to you conclusively that Jesus is the Messiah. I've explained it to you. Irrefutable evidence. And they've just gone, yeah, yeah, we don't believe that. It means nothing to us. Verse 28, therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. Why? Because they're unencumbered by all these things. They haven't studied the scriptures like you have and they don't know all the things that you know and that you have in your, in your own mind compartmentalized and you've put into pockets and you've said, well, that doesn't meet the criteria so I'm going to dismiss it and all of that. And they've said, these people are just hungry. They're spiritually hungry. They want to know the Lord and the word of God has spoken. They're like, yeah, tell us about it. As opposed to you people who are kind of like, yeah, but that's not what Rabbi so-and-so said so uh, we're not going to believe that. And when he had said these words to them, verse 29, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. That is the story that happened every time Paul went into a synagogue, all throughout his missionary journeys. He would go into the Jew first, minister to them, and this, this scenario we've just seen here is the same scenario that happened over and over and over. And why do we need to know that? Because as we go through our lives, and as we minister to people, this same scenario will play out in our lives as well. And we should not be discouraged by it. Because 
God is the one who works in the human heart. So we need to be faithful to be the witness, to be the light, to bring the word, to share it, to live it, to model it. But it's not our job, and it takes this responsibility and this burden off of us. It's not our job to make people believe. It is our job to be a witness. But the believing part, that's between them and God. And I think it's so hard, isn't it, when it's people we love, when it's family. And you know, one day we're all going to stand before God, one way or another. Every person will stand before God and give an account. For those who know Christ, it'll be at this thing called the Bema Seat of Christ, where we'll just be welcomed into his kingdom. But for those who have never believed, it'll be this thing called the Great White Throne Judgment found at the end of the book of Revelation. And that's not where we want to see people. We wish that upon no one. We want to see everyone come, as Peter said, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, there are some who will end up there and some who will be at the Bema Seat of Christ. And it's our job, it's our heart's desire, it's our attitude to take as many people with us as we possibly can to that throne, to the good throne, to stand before Jesus to receive reward and to be welcomed into his kingdom. And so people are going to believe and people are going to disbelieve. People will dispute and they will say you're crazy and they will say, You're narrow and you're bigoted and you're hateful because you say there's only one way. And this is part of what's happening in our world today, right? Live your truth, seek your truth. You know, you be you, you do you. Nobody can tell you what you're doing is wrong because it's your truth. Even if you're doing horrible things that are against the word of God, sexual sin and murder and whatever else you can think of that the word of God says, and the answer is, yes, there's a right and there's a wrong. And we're going to be called out for that as these days go forward. They're not getting, the days aren't getting brighter, they're getting darker as we hurtle toward the end of time. And this is what Jesus said would happen. This is what Paul said would happen. Read the, when you see all the epistles, you know, first and second, whatever, read second Peter, read second Thessalonians, read second Corinthians, and you see what's happening, what's coming. This is where we're headed toward. And so we have to be firm and, and these things that we're learning, we have to take them to heart and we have to resolve within ourselves Hey man, when I can, you know, when the, when the body of Christ is gathering on Sunday morning or whatever, I'm going to be there. Why? Because I need it. I need to be encouraged. I need to draw near to the Lord. When there's an opportunity for me to go to a Bible study or to pray, I'm going to do it. Why? Because I need to draw near to God. I need to stay strong. And just like Paul was encouraged by both these natives and then later as he got to Rome and these, these believers were coming to meet him, the body of Christ brings encouragement and brings strength and brings hope. This is why we need to be in fellowship in person so that those things can happen. Those things can't happen over the camera. You can't be on the other side of the camera and have that interactive portion where we have that fellowship and praise God we have the technology. I'm glad the word is going out and we're grateful for that. But if that's your only source, you're missing the other three quarters of Acts 2.42. 
You're missing those other things, the breaking of bread and fellowship and prayer that happens within the body of Christ. And so we need that. And notice as we come to the end of this here, verse 30, Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. God allowed him to be taken to Rome as a prisoner, but he has this open house. It's like Paul's running a hotel almost, you know, people just come into him whenever. And notice what was happening there. Verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. God takes Paul to the heart of Rome, which is not friendly to the church and not gospel friendly. Plants him there, puts a little like glass wall around him and says, Paul, you can say whatever you want, preach whatever you want, invite whomever you want. You have an open door for ministry. Just go for it, bro. And that's what he's doing. In fact, we know from this time, these two years that he was there, he wrote these things called the prison epistles. Do you know what they are? Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. In fact, when we read in Philemon, we find that Paul meets this other man, Onesimus, who's there, um, and, and they become buddies, and Paul leads them to the Lord, and as he's sending him back to his master, he writes this letter to say, I'm sending him back to you in a better condition than you sent him out with. And so reading the prison epistles, knowing all of this that's happening here is so Rich, you should, you know, here's what I do. I write this stuff down. I write at the end of my Bible, you know, at the end, Paul wrote these letters from here. Then I go over there to those letters, to Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and Philemon. And I wrote, I write, Paul wrote this from Rome in prison. And we see these things that, that God had done here. Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ, with all confidence, no one forbidding him, the end of the book of Acts. And it's amazing what God has done. You know, God is sort of communicating it, and we're going to pick up here in 30 and 31 next week as we sort of close off the book of Acts about Everything that God is doing, you know, that wasn't a chapter that said the end, that was the end of Paul's ministry or any of that, because it wasn't. Paul got out of prison and he continued to minister. But look what happens when God does what he's wanting to do the way that he's wanting to do it. The way God got Paul to Rome. It, It was tragic. It was terrible. There was no loss of life, but it was a horrible journey. But God had a purpose and a plan in it. And look at all the things God did along the way. Now as we kind of take Paul's life, and if we were to take it and now trace it backwards, and look at all the things God did in and through the person of Paul the Apostle. Wow, it is so amazing what God can and will do through one person. One person who loves him and yields their life to him. And that's what Paul is for us. He's an example He's not someone to put up on a pedestal and say, oh man, the great apostle Paul. I'm sure he wouldn't want that. But I know what he would want. You know, you can call me whatever you want. My name is Mud. I just want you to believe in Christ. I just want you to come to him by whatever means necessary. If I need to say it in a different way so that you can hear it, I will. 
And when Paul said things like, you know, I've become all things to all people, to the Jew, I became as a Jew, to a Roman or a Gentile, I became as a Gentile. What does he mean? Just, I've tried to find whatever way I could to communicate with people. You know how we are sometimes, we talk to people and it's like we talk past each other and we have these relational difficulties and we're like, well, you know, then I'm not going to be friends with them or I'm not going to talk to them because I don't know how to talk to them. You know what we need to do? We need to go into our prayer closet and say, God, show me how to talk to them so that I can minister to them. Not just kind of go, eh, I don't want to, you know, we're incompatible. I don't want to talk to them. That's okay. God can still use you. And wouldn't it be great if he did? You see, we come to the end of the book of Acts and I see this principle here. God always delivers. God's always faithful. God always gets the job done. Now you put my name in there and it's like, uh, I usually fail, I don't deliver, and I don't get the job done. But when we trust in the Lord... Like Paul, when we lay our lives down and just say, God, just use my life. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, doesn't mean you got to quit your job and be a missionary. Where you are, yield your life to Christ now, and he will use you where you are. He's so faithful that way. He just wants to use us. He wants us to be, he says that, he, it's wonderful, he said this when he wrote the letter to Philippians, Paul did, he said, that we should be lights in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. That doesn't happen from the office of a church. That happens where you and I are out in the marketplace. When we're standing in line at the pharmacy, at Walmart, at the grocery store, that's where he uses us. That's the way he intended it to be. He intended his church to be scattered we gather to be encouraged and to be built up in the faith. And then as we leave here, we say amen. We get, we're the church scattered. And we need to put a sign, we've talked about it, over our door that says you're now entering the mission field as you're exiting this building. Because that's what's happening. And so the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, working in and through the lives of His people, and it doesn't end here with Acts 28, 31, because he's still working today. You see, we're here. And all the other churches that are present in the world are there because God is still continuing. We're living in Acts 29, which is the continuation of the church. So Lord, we thank you this morning for this amazing book, for this amazing study, for what you've done in ministering to us. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. Thank you for how much you love us. God, use us for your glory. For all who are willing this morning, Lord, I trust they'll say along with me, Lord, we yield our lives to you. Lord, use me. I don't know what that means. I don't know how it's gonna happen, but just use me, I pray. For your glory, for your good. I'm your servant and I'm forever indebted to you. Thank you for saving me. For those of you this morning who are listening who maybe have never yielded your heart to Jesus Christ, we just call upon you very simply in his name and say, would you give your heart to him this morning? And ask him to come in, to forgive you of your sins and to take up residence in your life. And he will do that. And he will walk with you and guide you and lead you along the way. You no longer have to do it alone.
You can do it now as a person who's forgiven, who has a friend, and whose name is written in the book of life. God, we love you, we bless you. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.